Hey everyone, Mercedes here. I'm so excited to share with you the Lucky Few podcast will be headlining at Dear Mom Conference. Join us on November 3rd in Orem, Utah for our first official live event. Grab your tickets today at DearMomConference.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Lucky Few podcast where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Heather. Mercedes and Micah and today friends we are chatting about our most requested topic of all time any guesses inclusion inclusion (laughs) everybody wants to talk inclusion as do I so welcome So we're here, friends. Ooh, Isn't it fun to be two. back? So fun to be back. Season two. I love that we made it through a first season. Mm-hmm. I love that we're doing season two, and we are back in school. We are back in school. Um, some well, of us actually, longer than Sunny others. Not. Sunny, yeah. not yet. But by the time this airs, she will be in. She's in. And school and Down syndrome can be a tricky little mix, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's it can talk be about fun, that. and it can be real Challenging. fun. And, and challenging too. We know who the optimist in the group is. It's fun and even more fun. As but I'm like, only with inclusion. Yes. As I'm ripping my hair out trying to get people to include my child. Oh. I'm not really. So, yeah, school's back in. Mason, my eldest daughter who has Down syndrome, is in fourth grade. Wow. There's she's no double way. digits now. Ten. 10 years old. 10 years old. I'm for sure not old enough to have a fourth grader, but that's another episode. Right. <laughs> and then August, my son with Down syndrome is four and a half in preschool. And he's not in school yet because there is not a place for him to be mm. that we're willing to send him. Right. We're working it out. Right. And Mason is in a gen ed classroom um, at a school who doesn't understand inclusive practices, but they're willing to learn. And that feels the most important to mm-hmm. me right. at this point. Yeah. How about you, Micah? Where are you at? We just had, we are two days in to Ace's pre-K career. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and so far, it's been a really sweet couple of days. I even felt like um, maybe this is me being the optimist at the table as for (laughs) fun and more fun. Um, But even yesterday, he was, he said two new things after two days of being in school Whoa. and it just feels like already positive he's just positive yeah he's just excited he's happy going every day he's happy when I picked him up and like dirty yes. and been playing hard right feels really good I'm so happy Micah yeah Yay. that's exciting Mercedes and Sunny's not in just yet but tell us what's gonna happen yes so she starts after Labor Day and um, she's going to be fully included in a TK program. I have her only in three days a week just cause I feel like those, that's the best schedule for sunflower and, um, she'll have a one-on-one aid and in a typical classroom that love the teacher loves her. Um, this school also is a private Christian school, so they're not fully equipped yet for, um, their students with different abilities, but they are willing to learn and um it's kind of like 
not pressure in a bad way, but pressure in a good way to really be um, an advocate and a voice of what they need to set her up well and yeah. to set up other students for the future that come mm-hmm. that have different abilities. Um, and especially because the school is open, they're like, yes, what do we need? What do we have to get? And so I'm like, let me research that. Let me That's see. Great. And they're receptive and it's beautiful and really fun and we're excited. That's so great. Yeah. And I think because all of us are just kind of newbies really mm-hmm. in the long run of inclusion. I mean, fourth grade, we've That's been doing so this, new. but it's all very new. Right. Um, and it's one of those things that I think in a lot of places is a hot topic with schools. And so don't worry, listeners, you're not going to listen to us three amateurs talk for an hour. Right. Thank you. Finally. Finally. Right. <laughs> Hit those girls quiet. Yeah. Let's get some real experience up in here. <laughs> but we have an amazing woman with us today who is, in my opinion, an inclusion guru. Her name is Kristen Enriquez, and I cannot wait for her to share with us. But before we do that, we are going to take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Today, the Lucky Few podcast is sponsored by our good friends over at Love Every, where playtime is thoughtfully crafted by experts for your baby's developing brain. Stick around to find out about a special deal Love Every is offering later in the episode. All right, so my friend Kristen is here. Let me tell you how I met Kristen, and then we are going to bring her into this conversation where she will take over and teach us all wonderful things. Yay, Kristen. Kristen is a part of an organization called Club 21 in Pasadena, California, which I've talked about many times because it has been an important piece of our journey um, in the world of Down syndrome. Club 21 is a learning and resource program for families who have kids with Down syndrome, and Kristen can tell us exactly what she does for them, but she's been involved for a long time. Um, and she has a son who is 10 also. His name is Sevi, and he has Down syndrome. She has four kids, but her son, Sevi, has Down syndrome at the same age as Macy. And Kristen is a unique voice because she had been on the education side and then shifted to the parent side and does both very well. And she's also incredibly well-versed in inclusion. All right, Kristen, thank you so much for being with us. We are thrilled and honored to have you here. And before we get into all the inclusion pieces, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, who your kids are, their ages, all that good stuff? Yes. So I um, am a mom of four kiddos. I have a 12-year-old in middle school. I have um, my 10-year-old who has Down syndrome and is also a heart warrior. And then I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So we've got middle school to preschool around here. Wow. yeah, it's a lot, but it's wonderful chaos. It's wonderful chaos. Um, and I have been, um, have a long history in special education. My first job was actually as a one-to-one aide for a little boy going to a private preschool. And that was during college. So then when I graduated, I went right into teaching and actually, um, taught in a special day class for kids with autism for a number of years, um, before becoming an autism and inclusion specialist. And then when into administration where I did administration in both public and non-public schools. And all that time during the summer, I had a camp for kids with autism for 13 years, which was such a joy. Um, 
in my life. So I've worked really with kids from preschool all the way up through adulthood. Um, and about four years ago, we moved. And at the time, my son was going to have heart surgery, and I was pregnant with my youngest child and realized that employment was going to be difficult. So I decided to put all of my energy into consulting, where I now get to work with uh, parents. I do coaching for parents. I do professional development for school districts and organizations. And I also have the honor and privilege of getting to work directly with kids. And I do all of that through my um, consulting practice called Sebi Smile after my little boy with Down syndrome, whose name is Sebi. Oh. And a lot of the work that I do is at Club 21, which Heather mentioned, um, where I get to do professional development and parent coaching, which is just such a joy. Awesome. Kristen, I, th- I think that's so amazing. I feel like I see this a lot in, as I meet people in the Down syndrome community, how um, like so many parents were given children with Down syndrome who already loved and cared for kids with different abilities. Can you tell us just a little bit about um, like how many years were you working with kids with autism before you became pregnant with Sevi? And can you tell us a little bit about just that story of realizing that Sevi had Down syndrome and your preparation for that? So I have always um, thought I knew what I was going to do, and then life has change that plan. So it's yeah. that famous saying, you know, man plans and God laughs. Um, <laughs> and that is, that is my life and my career to a T. So my whole life, I was um, in love with deafness and deaf culture. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that I was going to be a teacher for the hearing impaired. And then when I was about 16 years old, I met a child with autism. And all of a sudden, things changed because I started meeting more and more kids um, with autism. And, and I realized someone's trying to tell you something here. Like you got to take notice of this. And so changed everything I thought I was going to do and threw myself into the world of autism, which I did for over 20 years before I had Sebi. And, um, it really wasn't until a few years after Sebi was born where I realized that there were probably 25 people that I knew who would have loved to have had my job and doing what I was doing in the autism world. But I just didn't see that many people who were lining up to do it for kids with Down syndrome. Hmm. And I could, you know, I could. Yeah. And it was not only I could as a professional, but also had the personal passion that I think you need to, to try to change a movement um, like this. And so I just decided to be led again. And um, I still do some work with, with the autistic community, but the vast majority of what I do these days um, is with Down syndrome. And then um, as far as preparing, I will tell you there was no preparing, which is very me. Um, and the reason was, is we did not have a prenatal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. We did not know about Down syndrome. We did not know about his heart condition. We knew nothing. So as far as I knew, I was, I was giving birth to a child who had 46 chromosomes and, and everything was going to go the way we thought it was going to go. Um, and that all changed about 10 minutes after he was born when they told us they saw those soft, soft markers uh, and wanted to look into that further. That's wild. And, and we want to talk to you both as an educator and a parent. And I want to hear more about that in the parent piece. But I want to jump back to put your educator hat on, girl. And yeah. I want to 
Um, I feel like as a parent, when I talk about inclusion and we're in California, all three of us are in California is not known for their inclusive practices. And it feels like a hot topic word, like a knee jerk. People have a knee jerk reaction to the word inclusion. And I'm wondering what your introduction was to inclusion um, and how that has shifted as with your educator administrator hat on. So my first experience with inclusion was actually during my student teaching. I had the good fortune of being part of a school in Boston that was a truly a fully inclusive school. It was inclusion for everyone. It was not based on ability, which is what I find so often um, happens here in California, that kids kind of have to earn it, you know, and and it was inclusion for all, regardless of diagnosis, regardless of, um, of ability. And uh, I will tell you, I was not sold. Um, I loved the school. I loved being there. But in the back of my mind, if I'm honest, I had more questions. Um, and I really wasn't completely sure that this was what I believed and and the way that my own path was going to go. And then I went into teaching and I taught in a special day class for a number of years before I went into inclusion. So I, I taught in a special day class for four years before I taught in a general ed setting. And what, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just was wondering what changed for you between when you weren't sold and when you did go into inclusion. I think it was experience and certainly, you know, I I can talk about it as an educator, but I can't really ever separate that I'm also a parent. So definitely seeing it firsthand and and being in those shoes, but also it was as a parent that drive to research and that drive to know more about what we needed to do for our child. And then seeing that there was so much information out there that, that showed that it was the right thing to do for all kids. And then that was really what shaped me. So I really think my parent experience ended up shaping my educational experience, my, um, you know, my educator experience. But um, the shift has been more recent. It really hasn't been the bulk of my career. It's really been in the more recent years that I've learned and I've been able to cross paths with with people who are have been doing it for a long time and and have showed me that there was a different way other than the way I was. So like I said, I think I've been led. I love that. And um, this Mercedes, by the way. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> um, I have found that sometimes when systems are in place, then when and you're taught a certain way, I feel like, especially in this school district that I'm in right now, they have a spot for people with Down syndrome to go to. Mm-hmm. They have a spot for the people. They have a set route for them. And it's been really hard to change the narrative and change what inclusion looks like because they honestly feel like they are best supporting those individuals mm-hmm. by putting them in their spot. Do you think at one point, Kristen, that's how you felt? That's why like inclusion possibly you weren't sold on because you felt like you're helping them in the best way you were kind of steered or taught how to by putting them in the special day programs, by putting them in whatever program the school has set up for them? You know, I do. I think that as human beings, we get really comfortable. You know, we get comfortable. And I think especially having had the administrator position, because I do think oftentimes it's the administrator who's kind of leading that discussion. Um, I I think the job is really big. You know, I remember Mm -hmm. my last year as an admin, I did 250 three IEPs in a 180 
60-day school year. Wow. Not to mention I had staff to supervise and you know and other things to do in addition to that. So I think that the job is so big and in order to get it done, you end up creating shortcuts for yourself. You know, right. we all do and so you get comfortable and 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 comfort is fast. Yeah. You know what to do, you know what to say, you know what the results, or you, at least you hope you know what the result is going to be. And so you kind of go on autopilot and there really isn't time to question or to research, to learn. So unless you you have what I call your life-changing moments, and as parents, we've all had that, you know, right. that, that life-changing moment, you don't change your practice until you have it. Right, you kind of just get more set in your ways. Yeah, and I that's say what it feels me. like when you're going just up against. Best, yeah, just because it's the best way or just because it's the way we've always done it doesn't mean it's the best way or the only way. It's just the way we know. That's um, right. Amen. Okay, so moving forward, can you give us your definition of inclusion? What is it? What is it not? So I actually don't use the word inclusion. Ooh. Unless I'm talking Ooh, throwing things. Yes. Ah, Throw us a curveball. Love it. <laughs> so I'll use it. But I call it access and opportunity. Access and like opportunity. It. I feel like let's say that again, Kristen. Yeah. Not not inclusion. It's not at inclusion. you prefer access and opportunity. Access and opportunity. Yes. Can I I'm gonna interject here real quick before you go into what that means because I was just listening to a person who does inclusion well. Every, like he's written books, all these different things. But he doesn't like inclusion. He likes the idea of inclusive practices. That yes. inclusion Ooh. doesn't matter unless there are inclusive practices in place. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because I think that when you use the word inclusion, first of all, we can make anything look good on paper, right? We can say it's inclusion, but when we really look at it, what is really going on there? And it's those inclusive practices that really make or break the situation. Um, but I also think that inclusion has this element of being a favor. You know, like, oh, we're being so nice. We're including your child. Well, it's not a favor. It's a civil right, you know, so so I, I tend to move away from that word because I think that when you use the word, it already sets people up to believe, yeah. you know, something, whether it be I'm not going to do this or I already know what that is. When I talk about access and opportunity, I feel like that's more individual. What does this child need? for access to this? What opportunities does this child need in order to move forward in their education? Um, but but the, the idea of inclusion, I think some of the keys are that, one is it's not a, philo it's not a place, it's a philosophy, right? It's mm -hmm. a mindset. So it's not about the classroom. The classroom is one piece of it, but it really isn't just about school. It's about life. You know, inclusion is about, yes, going to school with your gen ed peers, but it's also about being on the karate team or going to dance class yep. or going to a science camp or going shopping with mom even, cause you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times we want to leave our kids at home, but you know, they need to be out there in the community and it's, it's being known and recognized in the community mm -hmm. and being recognized for what you contribute as well as being able to get what you need. Hmm. Oh man. I love it. So I'm good. hyped up girl. I know. Access and opportunity. Sorry. Just Sorry. give Sorry. me a chance. We need, let's get this <laughs> needle pointed on some yes. pillows. Yes. <laughs> I need a Ooh. shirt. Dear teacher. <laughs> I do love the um, access and opportunity because no matter who your kid is, yes. where they fell on, fall on the learning mm -hmm. spectrum, what do we want for our kids? Access, access and opportunity. It's not a Down syndrome thing. It's not an autism thing. Right. No. It is a kid, human A human thing. thing. Yes. And I love this this like definition of your child being part of the community, yes. the greater mm. community. So it's not just classroom. It's everything. Right. Right. Which not is, just dance class for 
people with different right. abilities, special not just class. Yes, yeah, special <laughs> class, special stars. <laughs> I think that this is one of my big things when we go to a new school because um, God bless us, we've moved a lot is my child is going to go to our neighborhood school. And oftentimes within a district, it's like, oh, but this is the school where kids like that go. And I'm like, well, no, part of community, right? Part of belonging mm -hmm. is community and community. This is our community. So we're going to go to our neighborhood school because this is where my kid lives. And then it gets, gets tricky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sticky. You know, um, Kristen. Okay. From a uh, educator's perspective, why is inclusion important? And you can so obviously this, talk about a mom. I mean, obviously it's going to overlap here, but. So I, I think this is what I've learned, you know, in, in connecting with these amazing individuals along the path that, you know, development is not fixed at birth. You know, Sue Buckley from Downs at International, Down Syndrome Education International, she, it's one of the hallmarks of the things that she says, you know, development is not fixed at birth. I know for myself, I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. um, I am not the same person that I was at 20. And Amen. thank God. Mm -hmm. no, that, now that person influenced me and shaped me to be the person I am now. But life is who we are today is a is a compilation of all of the experiences that we've had. And so the outcomes for the same person will differ based on the experiences that they've had. So if you take a child and you put them in uh, a room and you, you know, slip food under the door and they never really leave like the four walls of that house, what is that child going to look like in the same amount of time you take the same child, you know, you could go back and take the same child and you have them being a vibrant part of your family, part of your school, part of their community, then that same child is going to look very, very different, mm -hmm. even though they came with the same things. Right. Um, so I really believe that. And I think that, like you said, sometimes we up against people who have this place where we think people are going to go. But it's really hard for me to accept that we can decide the potential or the limit on someone and what they can achieve when they're three. Amen. We're oh, dropping microphones yes. over here, girl. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a hard one for me. When yes. they're That's three, really they are defined. What? Well, let's say how about the day that they're <laughs> crazy, born, right? right? The day that they're born, oh, this child yeah. will never <laughs> amount to anything institutionalized right. or what, you know, right. or don't oh, give right. life. Right. Or we get like to this point where Ace has, we've made a deal with the school district. Ace just started in the inclusion class, the pre-K inclusion class, which I'm very excited about, but he's given 60 days. Yeah. He's, he's trial like on run. trial. Yeah. yeah. If he, like, how good is he going to be at sitting right. for story yep. time? Right. And, you know, is he going to play well? And, you know, we walk in there and he pushes down some kid's tower the first moment. Yes, <laughs> get like, it. Don't. Do it. <laughs> yeah. No, You're like, oh, no, that's a mark against you. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's crazy. Like what three-year-old has to perform. Be under a microphone or a mic, what's it? Microscope. 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 Not a microphone. I'm on a microphone. <laughs> You're under one. I'm under one. <laughs> But I think, you know, it's also important because when we learn about the research, there is not one current study that shows that outcomes are better in a special day class. Mm. Right. Because this is actually still yet. so new. I know we're mm -hmm. like 50 years ago or how long ago. I still need to brush up on my history where it was just straight to institution or just keep them, keep your child with Down syndrome at home. Sure. Like mm -hmm. it's still so new and our... And our nation as a whole, we just kind of slowly make changes and then there's setbacks yeah. and slow changes. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're still fighting mm -hmm. like the beginning. Right. Systemic issues. Systemic One issues. of my dear friends who I've talked about before, Olivia, her daughter, Sarah, is 28. 
eight or 29 and she was advised to institutionalize institutionalize her. and how old is she now 28 29 so, so my god oh yeah that's ago. what you just said yeah. that's yeah. not long ago that's wild no. and it was after like, she'd been home for two weeks like she took her crazy. in to see the doctor at her two-week appointment the doctor's mm-hmm. like oh you know anyway we and talk. this is california oh yes where is this institution it still it exists probably still right Oh, I, Ooh, d- I have, don't know. No? We're going to find out. Let's, okay. let's what is tear it secret? down. Tear down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kristen. We're going, we're going, <laughs> going off. off. Okay. Bring us back, Micah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm looking at this. Um, you know, I did all this research um, as I was going back and forth with the school district. And even this kind of, you know, this study in 1999 where it, where it compared these these children who were, I guess by then, in their 20s, who had been with Down syndrome, who had been in special day class their entire lives, versus versus these these children who had been in classes with general ed peers. And um, gosh, I, I'm trying to see, I can't find it here, but it was a huge difference in language skills, in ability to, um, like live on their own and to to hold a job like it was across the board not just in a school setting but in a life setting and I feel like that's kind of what you're saying Kristen is we're talking about inclusion as a whole community and that a lot of times when the school district is coming to us parents and saying well this is what is best for your child to be in this class so he can learn math better mm-hmm. or so that you know she can learn how to read with more help and what i feel like what i hear parents saying is this is this is so much bigger this is about life and how my child learns to 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 have hold a job how my child learns to communicate and like would you agree with that kristen yeah, I actually am very familiar with the study that you're talking about, and oh, you're right. I mean, they, they looked at the they looked at these kids when they were teenagers, and you're, and they had they had a group that had been in special day class and a group that had been in general ed their entire education, and the outcomes in almost every marker were significantly greater. And the other piece about it is they were significantly greater, and they were even greater for children who would have been considered to have been. Um, to have less abilities than for the kids who maybe were borderline, you know, um, which was fascinating. And the only two areas where they didn't see this significant jump, which one was social, because they looked at it with teenagers and dating had come into Oh, yes. Okay. So it was a little skewed, they think, in that area, because when you're dating – there is a different expectation there, right. I think. Um, so it, so if they had looked a little younger, I think they still would have seen that big difference socially um, before the dating scene came in. Right. And the other one was daily living skills. But the interesting thing about that one, Micah, is that the, the difference was so minimal. Hmm. So kids who had in a special day class setting, they were minimally more successful with their daily living skills than kids who had been in general ed setting, despite the fact that the whole selling point for those special day classes were that they were supposed to be teaching kids those daily living skills all day long. Right, right. We would have expected actually a much greater, you know, difference yeah. there. Oh, I we like really that. Hmm. 
we really didn't see it. And so I think, you know, as, as, as parents, when we're talking to educators is we have to ask for the, the justification, you know, we have to hold people accountable for when someone comes to us and says, I think your three-year-old needs to be in a special day class. The question is based on what, right? you know, and, and, and how do you know, you know, that, that trying a gen ed class wouldn't, wouldn't work, you know, let's try it and, and, and see what happens. And then we can talk from there. So you know, the other piece of it for me is, is, again, this issue of value, you know, which I know you're all behind you know, this issue of having our kids be valued. And, and I think not only do we need to have our, you know, kids, all kids need to learn how to live in the real world, right? That's what we want is yeah. them to live in the real world. And, and school is their version, you know, of the real world right. to a large extent. But the, the other piece of it is that we never know who is going to be impacted by being, you know, by being exposed to a person with a disability, right? We don't know who's going to be a father, who's going to be a grandparent, who's going to be a neighbor, who's going to be in a position to employ somebody. And having known our children in their general ed classes just may be the thing that gives them their life-changing moment that lets them know that not only is life going to be okay, but that things may be better because they embraced this difference. Yes. Amen to that. And tears are yeah. welling up yeah. in my eyes. <laughs> and, we, and Kristen, we had an episode where I interviewed my neighborhood friend about our friend we went to school with who had Down syndrome and how much she affected my life. And of course, introduced me to Down syndrome. And when my son was diagnosed, it was Carrie that I thought of. And there's so many, I think about how many of the little me's Mm -hmm. are out there in ACES classes. Yeah. That's That's so good. Um, I think that we're all just preaching to the choir here. And so I want to, I want to give you an example and it may or may not be my own personal example. So, (laughs) and then you tell us what to do here, Kristen, or why you think it is this way. So let's use Macy, for example, right? Mason goes into fourth grade and based on all we're saying, I'm, I'm having to convince, this has been my experience thus far, convincing our teachers that Macy belongs to the whole community, to the whole school, and this looks like inclusive practices, which means she's not in a self-contained special education class. But the hang-up is, well, Macy is not, Macy's only reading about 100 sight words so far. Um, Macy's not writing yet. Macy is still not rote counting to 100 yet. So math is not a thing. So then that's where that's where the teachers and administrators feel like it's just a wacky idea. What are we supposed to do with Mason in a fourth grade class if academically she is so much the gap is so wide between her and her fourth grade peers? So yeah. What do you think? I, I hear this a lot and I think we have to remember and remind people that there are no prerequisites for inclusion. Oh, I like that. Mm. There's nothing in the law that says that kids have to meet this set of minimum standards in order to go to school with their general education peers. Nothing. So, you know, I, I understand that it's overwhelming because there's a teacher who needs to teach the content of the grade level. And then there's a child who, you know, there's more work involved there with trying to figure out how do you make this meaningful. But I think we need to remember that meaningful is not based on the standards of the grade level. Meaningful has been determined by Macy's IEP team, Mm -hmm. you know, or any child's IEP team, and that the key to success is her her ability in that setting to make progress towards her goals. It would be very difficult for me to find a child who looks exactly the same as they did a year ago. 
Right. You know, maturity and growth and experience and exposure and learning and just being part of the world. Um, kids change over the course of a year. So if if a child is able to make progress on their IEP goals in that year, then that placement is successful. And then right. the placement discussion is over. Mm-hmm. It's over. Mm-hmm. Then you move on to, okay, what is next year going to look like? Now, of course, it's another podcast probably, but that is so important for us to have these IEPs that really reflect what we think is the is the true um, spirit of what our kids need to learn over the course of the next year, because that is what we really should be basing it on. Um, so we really have to focus on what our child needs, not what they're lacking. Yes. Right? Yeah. What 100%. Is not what she doesn't know. It's about what does she know? What does she need and what needs to happen between now and a year from now to get her moving along that path so that she can reach that goal? Right. Right. Um, But as a parent, you know, again, I think, you know, having the conversation where I always treat it like a given. Right. So it's not about do you want to or can we? It's about what needs to happen here for this to happen. Like this is happening. You know, what what do you need? What do we need to do? What needs to happen in order for this to be successful? So it's it's really not a choice. It's about we're all in this together. Let's link arms and what needs to happen as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And And I actually approached it this year that way. And I have been when we because we're at a new school, a new district. And it was, oh, this is what we're doing because this is what we've discovered is best for Mason. And I just got an email from the school psychologist and she said a bunch of stuff. And then she said, it seems like you're very involved. (laughs) And you're like, yes, I'm glad you caught that. (laughs) So I just wanted to reach out and and introduce myself. I'm like, you better believe I'm very involved. That's right. That's awesome. You guys leave me no choice, which is good accountability. But and I go back to, um, and Kristen, you can touch on this too, that, the the issue for me is we are dealing with the school that I would I say is non inclusive, mm-hmm. in that there is a self contained special education classroom that their expectation is a kid like Mason on paper would go to that space and what I would like to see is for schools in general to be to practice inclus- inclusion mm-hmm. to have inclusive practices and then it's a non issue right then it is oh we're looking at every kid in this school and how they're going to grow best. And, we're, and we recognize first it, that everyone's gonna grow best in community. So let's not segregate people based on ability. Yes. Um, but that's not what's happening. So that's where right. it feels like frustrating, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, if I, I've been in, in situations where you've talked to school districts and you, and you bring up this issue of inclusive practices and they actually think that they are. Um, And and you kind of look around and you're thinking, oh, that's not what it looks like to me. So part of the problem is that it is subjective, you know, to some extent. And Mm -hmm. there is no prescription for how to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Every child's needs are different, but also every school district's needs are different. Every teacher's needs are different. Every school's needs are different. So it's not really even a situation where we could take them to the model school who is doing it and say, replicate this because it's going to look different in every single situation. So it's a, it is a big task, but it is a task that if we have the mindset that this is, this is the right thing to do, um, then I don't think it's undoable, you know, and and we just, as parents, we, we, we're taking it on, you know, one child at a time, but really we need the mindset to shift in order to see that it's not about what you're doing for my child. It's about what you're doing for all kids. Right. Um, independent living skills are often a hard skill for 
all people. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with my independence. For sure. Or like, yeah, <laughs> laundry, keeping up with all that. That's all hard That's for everyone. Right. We cannot put that on our kiddos. No, yes. no. So Kristen, speaking of like how complicated this can be and how subjective it feels, can you kind of give us, like if you were still in the role of a teacher, um, what's your perspective of kind of the, the top important supports or practices that, that an educator should have in place when implementing an inclusive classroom? Like what does that look like for a teacher? So my opinion on this is that it's actually a few supports, but many, many practices, um, because the supports I think are what we do for kids and the practice is just what's the mindset. You know, and I think the mindset is more important than anything. I've I've been, you know, worked with people who had no experience and had no idea what to do, but because their mindset was in the right place, they were the most successful at what they did. And and so I think that as far as supports are concerned, what we know about Down syndrome and the Down syndrome learning profile and the way that our kids learn, that definitely um, implementing visuals is very important because it reduces the cognitive load and allows our kids to really focus on what they're being asked to do and actually be able to do it. Um, so visuals are a key strategy in everything that we do with kids with Down syndrome. Um, and then also peer groupings. You know, this peer partnership, the desire to be with their peers piece of Down syndrome is is such a strength that I think that we don't capitalize on as much as we could yeah. in classrooms. And it's got power that, that one person could never have. You know, so mm -hmm. I think that we really miss our opportunity when we don't use that desire in a positive way. So those would be the two, if I could only choose two actual supports, those would be the two supports. As far as practice, Again, I think it's mostly mindset. I think that as an educator, you have to have an open mind. I think you need to be um, structured but flexible, and you really need to take your ego out of it. You know, I think mm. that's, that's really hard to do because as the as the classroom teacher, as the only adult maybe in that room, or in previous years having been the only adult in that room, you are used to being the center of your classroom, <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden we're saying, but it's not about you. Right. It's, mm. it's really about what does this child need to to be able to go forward and, and maybe that you have to change some of what you're used to doing in order to support this need here. And but um, it's it's really about not not thinking or realizing that you can't do it all and you can't know it all and admitting when you don't know and looking to your team to help you discover the possibilities. Um, and the last pieces I think there is there is not enough time for is is really taking time to know the family story, right? We as teachers, we're only with this child for one year, maybe two or three, you know, if it is a if it is a special day class setting. But the parents have been there before, they're there during, and they're there, they're gonna be there after, right? So they're the context. So if we don't know the context at which this child lives, it's really hard to figure out what it is that they need in order to help them along that path. Mm -hmm. That's really good. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the the feeling that even just in my tiny bit of going through this is this constant sense that I'm being looked at as like 
an annoying mother right. who doesn't know what she's talking exactly. about. And like just the, the power of an educator saying, hey, you're the mother and you know a lot. Yeah. And right. you know this child and not me who did two hours of tests on them for, mm-hmm. you know. So I think yeah. that's amazing. Kristen, I feel like we could talk about this for so long. And so long. Um, I think we should. <laughs> so <laughs> what we're going to do is um, ask you if if you don't mind to come back for another episode, we would love to talk about this from a parent perspective and how to equip us as parents to go into that world of education and at least seem like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. Okay. And before we, before we end though, we do, there's a thing we do that's called good good news. news. But before we do good news, we have another word from our sponsor which is so exciting so exciting we are so pumped love every is sponsoring the show this month their products are gorgeous as are their models because i have to brag here ace is one of them (laughs) he's so cute (laughs) thank you um i received a love every play tent and it is so beautifully made their wood, sleek, simple design, I think best fits your child's development at the age as a baby. And as aesthetically pleasing as it looks, you want to keep it up in your house. You know, yeah. as a mom, you're like, yeah. it doesn't go with my, the plastic ones, the bright colors doesn't go. The um, play tent is beautifully handcrafted and goes with your style, guaranteed. I love that. And they have these things that are called play kits that are curated basically for your child's age from birth up until a year. And the one that the box that we have is for 11 to 12 month old and the toys are amazing. They're all matched developmentally to where your child is at and you can receive these in the mail basically every month. So such a great gift to give also to your friends. Yeah. And here's why I love them the most. They're actually serious about every baby. And that's why they have kids with different abilities in their marketing images, like my ace face, um, because they really do believe that all of our kids matter. And they they want to work with parents who are walking into a new diagnosis and get these toys right. So you can let them know your concerns and they'll work with you to make sure the kids are on track. Let them know you're a lucky few listener and you'll get 10% off your subscription to the play kits or $10 off a tent. Just use the code the lucky few at checkout and find out why they're being praised from the pages of Pop Sugar to People Magazine to Real Simple. All right, Micah, can you start us off with what what's about to happen here because you're so good at this? This is a special moment we like to call good news. <laughs> Good news. Come on, ladies. (laughs) Good news. Mercedes always just makes faces and sways. I'm about to come in with the sound, but I don't know if I'm going high or low. And I just gotta go. If we had a YouTube channel, then we would really get to appreciate Mercedes and her sways. And (laughs) this is true. Okay, friends, I am starting us off with good news. And um, school is so hard. We've talking about that. And all I want for Mason, I say this every school year is one friend, right? That's all any of us need in life. We just mm-hmm. need one friend. Now we don't have that friend yet. 
and we're at a school where I literally don't know one person, which is a wild thing for me. That's never been something that's happened to me. And I just have been praying and praying for one friend and it's been really hard. We're only a few weeks in, but her teacher has been so amazing. Her gen ed teacher and has been trying to create little friendships. And so every day this week, it's been three days. Um, I've asked Mason if she's eating lunch by herself or with a friend and she's eating lunch with a friend oh, who yay. I think is named Alyssa. And that's oh, really good I love because that. last week she was eating by herself, oh, which I could just cry right now. Right. So good news. Macy's good not eating news. alone. Sweet, Such sweet good girl. news. All right, Kristen, can you give us some good news? I can. So this summer, Sevi went on an independent vacation. Oh, wait wow. a second. Sevi. <laughs> Tell I me almost more. did not let him go. But he, so just to set it up, it's not like I sent him on the plane and let him, you know, sit by himself. But my cousin came out. <laughs> to get him and then he flew back with her and he spent six days at my aunt's house and he so he basically had a three to one ratio for um six days which made him come home and thinking he was the king and that was not going to happen when he got back home but uh, <laughs> he met like, all of our extended family who he had never met before so my aunts and uncles my cousins their children and he just had like a just this amazing family time that was completely independent of me, completely independent of his siblings. It was just a time to celebrate him. And it was just amazing. I love that so much. Wow. So and cool. then he flew him back. So he never was alone, but he was without me. What's which- such pride he probably had in like feeling like such a big guy, right? Flying? Yes. Without mom? He's, you know, he thinks he's big man on campus this year because he's a fifth grader and he kind of is, you know, oh, we kinda, so I'm really um, happy for him and proud of him for, for doing it and um, just having that experience. It's been amazing. That's great. Um, Sunflower, so fun in the last two weeks, has really stepped up her um, scooter skills and charges down our driveway and turns like charges down straight no fear at all and then turns and keeps scootering on and I just find it so rad because again knowing me you would know I'm not really into sports like that like <laughs> like no turning on scooters for totally not at, especially not at five I was not trying to skateboard I was not trying to ride on a razor that all sounds very scary but that's not my Sunny May. She's like a little skater girl. And um, I'm just so impressed that she just like goes for it without fear. And she falls and she gets back up. She always says, whoa, and then brushes herself off and <laughs> tries it again. And again, I'm holding my breath and being like, should we? Let me hold you back a little bit. But she goes for it. Love it. It's so good. Yeah. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, Ace is, this is his third day as we're recording of pre-K and um, yesterday when I picked him up, there's a cool little play structure outside his classroom. And he wanted to show me. And so, I mean, he, he didn't say I want to show you, but he was like, looked at me and went up the play structure and stood on these stairs. And he look, got my attention and he stepped from one stair to another down without holding on to anything. This is a big deal. Buddy, that's huge. And it, it, was, it was so sweet because he was, you know, it's it's hard that he can't verbalize that much right now. And But I knew, like, the way that he was looking at me, like, 
I figured something out today, mom. And it was just so sweet and so cool. And I just feel like already these two days in, I'm seeing a lot of growing up from him. That's really sweet. So sweet. All right, friends, as always, if you would like to leave your own good news and we can read it here on our podcast, visit the lucky few podcast dot com <laughs> she's Try got it one more time <laughs> the lucky few podcast.com you can visit us on all of our other social media channels the at the lucky few pod you got it and we're so thankful that you listened Kristen. thank you very much for thank coming you. on thank you thank you and then stick around because we are going to bring more of Kristen and more of inclusion and we're going to give you some good tips on how to get your kiddo where he or she needs to be all right all right we'll see you guys you. next week bye bye Bye. Thanks for listening to the Lucky Few Podcast. Review our show on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. Subscribe on our website for ongoing updates at theluckyfewpodcast.com. Tell us about your good news by leaving us a voicemail or text at 424-442-9147. Our show is edited and produced by Andy Lara at andylikeswords.com. See you next time.